My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm just so glad to be able to worship Jesus with you here this weekend, uh, to be able to continue our message series uh, here in the book of Exodus. And today we're going to see how one of the greatest heroes in the Bible, even Moses, needed help. Even Moses couldn't do it all on his own. It reminded me of, of a song I um, was saying a while back, uh, about 1964, uh, four guys uh, kind of made a jump across the pond, and uh, you may have heard of them before. They appeared on this little show, Ed Sullivan, I think it was. Did any of you happen to see the Beatles on Ed Sullivan? Yes, wow, wow. Danny, we have a lot of old people here, don't we? <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. We have a bunch of rock and roll fans here, don't we? <laughs> wow, what a, I mean, what a world-changing, what a culture-shaping kind of event. It's so rare to get to be a part of something that incredible. The very next year, the Beatles would uh, write a song, John Lennon would write a song entitled Help. And I was reading some background on that song. Uh, author Ian McDonald describes the song as the first crack in the protective shell that John Lennon and others had built around themselves during the Beatles' rise to fame. It may sound easy to be a rock star, but there's a lot of difficult emotions in, in that quick change and all the pressure and all the fame and all of that kind of stuff. Lennon said it this way about this song. He said, I was fat and depressed and was crying out for help. I don't know how fat he was, but he was wise to know that he needed help. We all need help sometimes. And uh, I've actually, I've got a clip here of this. This is from when they sang the song at Shea Stadium, the very first rock, uh, rock concert performed in a stadium in the, in the U.S. I want you to watch carefully because I'm pretty sure there's some women from Anderson Hills on here. Let's check this out. They were crying, they were screaming, they were being hauled off by the police, right? That's Beatlemania right there. But what, what an incredible song, because here are some guys who are the most famous people in the world at the time, and they have the humility to say, we need some help. Now, I'm not saying they were always a humble band, but at least in this moment, there was a lot of humility here in what they were saying. 
when you look at music, um, things have changed a little bit, you know? Uh, they, actually, there was a study done, um, Psychology Today reported on it. This is back in 2011, so it's a little bit dated here. But they studied music of the previous 30 years. And they were looking at the, specifically at the lyrics of music uh, across this time, across a variety of genres. And they found some interesting trends, one of which is uses of words like I and me increased radically, and words like we and us decreased. Uh, the, the level of hostility and anger increased. The level of talking about oneself or one's riches increased dramatically. It seems that our music became uh, significantly more self-centered or narcissistic over that period of time. And interestingly, music oftentimes is one of those leaders in how our culture goes. And they found that over the same period of time, there was a 40% decline in empathy among young people. We live in a world where we're all pretty sure that we don't need anybody's help, and our music sometimes says it. And you know, regardless of age or musical preference, if you think you don't need anybody's help, you're wrong. You're wrong, my friend. Because we all need the help of others. And, and you know, it's kind of a counter, countercultural thing because we live in a world that says, hey, you've got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You've got to be able to do this yourself. And yes, there is certainly value in individual responsibility. We need that too. That's, that's, that's an important thing. But we also need the help of others. You can't do life alone and live out the calling that God has for you. It's just not possible. So in this message series, we've been seeing how Moses comes to Egypt. The people have been enslaved for 430 years. He leads them out of Pharaoh's grip uh, by calling down 10 plagues that God had instructed him to call down. Then he leads them up to the Red Sea. Pharaoh changes his mind. Pharaoh pursues the, the Israelites, and it looks like they're all going to die right there by the sea. But nope, God is rescuing them. God tells Moses to take his staff to strike the sea, to raise his staff, and the sea parts right before their eyes. The people march on through on dry ground, and the uh, Egyptians pursue them, and they're crushed by the sea. God re rescues his people in miraculous fashion. But pretty soon, pretty soon thereafterwards, uh, the honeymoon comes to an end. The people get hungry, they get tired, they get thirsty. And they cry out to the Lord. They complain about Moses and Aaron. They say, you should have just left us to die in, in Egypt. Things were great back there, right? They forget what slavery was really like. Then the next chapter, after God provides for them, the people of Israel face another ch challenge. They get attacked by the Amalekites who'd be one of their enemies. Here the Israelites, they have no fighting experience. They were slaves, right? So this is kind of a cheap shot, if you will, from one of Israel's enemies. But God steps in and he's gonna protect them in a way that once again proves that he is God and that he is working in miraculous ways. Miracles, signs, and wonders to show the people how great God is. Check out how this battle goes down, Exodus 17:10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the mountain, the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. 
When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Now, this is really interesting to me. I've always wondered about this battle. Like, okay, that's great that they need to be saved. They're not going to be able to win the battle without God's help. So clearly they need God's help. But of all things, why do we need to have Moses keep his hands up all day, right? Couldn't there be another? Well, if I wonder that, I bet Moses wondered it a lot more than me, right? He's like, hey, God, why do we have to do this touchdown Israel thing all day. Couldn't we have gone for, when Moses put his hands comfortably in his pockets, the people would win the fight, right? What's wrong with that? Well, I don't know for sure, but I tend to think that God was demonstrating that even Moses needed help. Even this great leader of all the people on earth, God chose Moses to lead the people out of slavery, to defeat Pharaoh, to all this stuff. So Moses is this incredibly respected and powerful guy right at the moment, right? And we need to show that even Moses needs help in the most obvious way. He can't hold his hands up all day. He's a normal person like you and me, and he needs God's power and also the support of others to do the task that God is calling him to do. It was a good reminder for Moses and for us. So how about for you? Who holds up your hands when you're tired? Do you have Aaron? Do you have her in your life? Do you have people like this? Or are you trying to just do it all on your own to show everybody how strong you are, to show everybody that you are a self-made person and you don't need anybody else or any of that kind of nonsense? Who holds up your hands when you're tired? You know, Aaron and her, they're really a model of what church is all about. I mean, God's call for Anderson Hills is way bigger than any one person or, or than our team of pastors and staff. And I think really highly of our staff and pastors. They're awesome folks. But it's way more. God's call on our church is way more than any of us could, could do on our own. Uh, it's, it's simply not possible. I, I mean, you just look at um, what, what the ladies do with the rummage sale to raise so much money for missions, or what ARM does week in and week out around here, or what happens with our student ministry or our worship ministries or so many other areas. Nobody can do this alone. We couldn't even begin to do so. And um, I'm excited about something coming up here this year. Uh, we have, so we had a great Bible school over at Salem. It was awesome. And we're going to have here, this, this week, we're having VBS right here at this campus. It's the first time we've had here in many years, and I'm so excited about that because VBS is a great part of any growing children's ministry. It's a great way to reach new kids for Jesus. It's an awesome way for kids to invite their friends, and it's a great way for our own kids to grow in their own faith as well. So I'm glad we can have it at both campuses because we can simply reach more people that way. In fact, even though we had a really strong one at Salem, we've already got like 130 kids registered here, which is awesome, and I'm excited about that. And I'm praying in faith and asking you would pray with me that next year that God would double that number because I strongly believe that God can and will. Here's the challenge. 
this week we were talking about things in a, in a meeting with staff, and I learned that we have to limit our Bible school this year to 150 kids because that's all the, uh, the volunteer help that we have. And you know, that kind of makes my heart sad because one of the biggest things you usually do in Bible school is encourage them really hard every day to bring a friend tomorrow, bring a friend tomorrow, right? And it keeps growing and growing. We're going to be at capacity almost from night one, okay? And, and that's, that's for this year, I understand. But here's the deal, church, hear me clearly. This is the last year that will happen. Last year, okay? We're going to work really hard on this this year. In fact, Lauren's already got plans. She's like starting the planning in September, right, for next summer. She's ahead of the ball game. And we're going to have new volunteer roles that are, that are relevant to folks of any age because this is such a central thing. Because this is one of those kind of Aaron and her kind of things where, where we come together. In fact, we've got opportunities to serve in our children's ministry every Sunday. Anita was telling us about that earlier. If God's laying that on your heart, because I have a feeling that we're going to get a bunch more kids coming to our children's ministry after Bible school. They're going to hear about Jesus. They're going to experience him here at this church. And so we need some more folks to help lead that. So we're ready for that. And so I invite you, if you uh, like kids, if you hate kids, don't do this, <laughs> please. But if you like kids, if you, maybe you're feeling a little nudge from, from, from the Holy Spirit here, just uh, call the office or email kids at andersonhills.org. We would love to get you connected. It's an awesome way of, of really us coming together as a church. So back to Moses. Moses, he, he leads the people in victory against the Amalekites, but they had more struggles than just that. Uh, you would think that this day would have taught Moses that he can't do it alone, but it seems that even Moses needs a while to kind of get it through his head. For very soon thereafter, in fact, the next verses tell the story about how Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came to visit Moses. And so he comes to visit, and the first day uh, they, they spend time together, and Moses is telling him about all these great things that have been happening, right? The Red Sea and Pharaoh and all this stuff, right? All these great stories. But the next day, Moses has to get back to work, okay? So he goes back to what he's typically doing at the time. And if you've ever complained about your job, just check out Moses' job. Verse 13, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning until evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning until evening? Jethro in his heart is thinking, my son-in-law is an idiot. <laughs> but he doesn't say it. He instead, he asks the question, Moses, what are you doing here? What's, what's going on? I mean, I've heard all this great stuff you're bragging about, but, but the reality here seems a little rough. I mean, all day long, you got all these people coming to you. They're standing in big, long lines. They're getting crabby. They're already fighting with people, so they're crabby. They get to you, and you have to solve all their problems. Moses, this is not sustainable, right? And, and you got to give it to Moses. Moses is a hard worker. Moses is somebody, he's up for the challenge. I mean, this is the same guy. It wasn't that long ago at the burning bush. He's like, send anybody else. And now he's here solving all their problems. On the one way, it's one hand, it's respectable. On the other hand, it's kind of dumb. 
I mean, after all, we can only do so much. You have the same 24 hours as every other human who's ever lived. And, and we all, are any, do we have any people here who are to-do list people? You like making to-do lists? I do. I love it. I keep them on my phone, little reminders. They're very helpful. What about, is there anybody here who, if you do a job not on your to-do list, you write it on your list just so you can cross it off? Anybody? Yep, yep, that's okay. It's all right. It's accomplishment, right? And we like accomplishment. It feels good inside. It's a good thing, and I'm not putting that down at all. We need to-do list, but author Jim Collins challenges us also to have stop doing lists. What's on your stop doing list? Because if all you do is add to your to-dos, well, mathematically speaking, that won't work in your favor long term. You, because you always still got the same amount of time. Sometimes we need to pray and discern, Lord, what are you calling me to do? And other times we need to pray and discern, God, what do I need to stop doing so that I can be more faithful to whatever it is you're calling me to do? It's an important thing that we do. So Moses, he had this problem. He did not have much of a stop doing list. Verse 15, look at how he responds. Jethro says, what are you doing, Moses? Why are, why are you doing this? And Moses says, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses is like, look, this is an important job, man. You can't just quit it. All these people, they're going to fall apart. They've got arguments, lots of stupid arguments. Who's going to solve all their arguments? I'm the one who God has entrusted. I'm the one he gives his word to. I'm the one who led him through the Red Sea. I've got to be the one to tell him all about this. I don't know, but I have to think that if you were Moses, A, it would be tiring, of course, but on the other side, on the other hand, you'd get a lot of emotional strokes from this kind of role. Everybody in the country looks to you. If there's a problem, nobody knows better than Moses. We need to ask Moses' advice for this one. Let's go to Moses. After all, he's our leader. We trust him. Maybe Moses felt a little indispensable. But the fact is, there are graveyards full of seemingly indispensable people, yet the world keeps turning. Maybe you saw it in your place of work, people who, who believed that the company would not go on without them, but then they retired or they got terminated or whatnot, and the company still went on, right? We're all replaceable in one way or another. And it's important for us to remember this as we seek the help and guidance of others. We need help. We need help. Well, Jethro has a response to this, verse 17. He said, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Ouch. We don't like those words. You can't do it alone. When I hear stuff like that, I'm like, oh yeah, you want me to show you how I can do it alone? Here we go. Moses, you can't do it alone. And maybe part of the problem here was an identity problem. Because we tend to define ourselves by what 
we do. It's a normal thing for human beings, especially in our culture today. And for some of us, we get kind of on this performance treadmill where we got to keep going and doing, 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 doing. We don't even know why we got to keep doing. We just got to keep doing, 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 doing. And sometimes there's deep hurts down inside. Maybe it goes all the way back to childhood when we were so desperate for the affirmation of dad or mom. And we just keep doing, 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 just, just wanting them to say something kind, wanting them to compliment us, wanting them to uh, accept us, to love us. And maybe today we're still running. And it may not even be logical, but we're just running, and we don't know why. You know, what you do matters. It does. But there's something that matters more. Your identity is not in what you do. Your identity is who you are. And when you give your life to Jesus... The Bible says that God adopts you into the family as God's daughter, as God's son. That God chooses you, that he welcomes you. And so now, you're not just a servant or slave. You're not just somebody who's here just for the doing. You are a daughter. You are a son. You are part of the family. Yeah, what you do matters, and it's important, and it's great, but it's not who you are. We don't define ourselves by what we do. We define ourselves by who we are. And here's the deal, my friend. You will never have anything better on your resume than beloved child of God. Nothing will ever be better than that. It, I know many of you have many accomplishments that are very respectable, but there's nothing better than that one. Beloved child of God. Jethro sees this, and he calls it out in Moses, but he doesn't just call out the problem. Like any good mentor, he offers helpful suggestions as to what to do. Verse 19, Jethro says, listen to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. In other words, this is more than just human advice. If this is from the Lord, do it. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. You see, he begins by validating Moses. This is exactly what Moses had said. They need me to do this stuff. It's important. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. In other words, they hate bribes. And appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for, for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide for themselves. This will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied." See, Moses was tiring out himself and the people. He had to get back to his original calling. He is the leader of God's people. That's what he's called to do. But he's chosen by God. He's loved by God. He's known by God. Moses wasn't just valuable only because he had all the answers for the day, because he could resolve all the problems for the day. No, Moses was valuable because he's a beloved child of God. And he needed help. 
He needed help. He needed somebody to step in. In fact, a lot of somebody's to step in and help share this burden. Moses heard his father-in-law. In verse 24, it says, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. By the way, this is the life verse of in-laws everywhere. Some of you just figured out what you're going to get that stupid son-in-law for Christmas this year, a, a plaque with this verse on it, right? Verse 25, he chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for all the people at all times, the difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided for himself, just as Jethro says. That's why it repeats it, to show that Moses heard the advice, he took the advice, and he implemented this. The Bible will tell us in other places that Moses is the most humble man who ever lived, and here's why. Moses could have heard Jethro's advice and said, um, excuse me, Jethro, I was wondering, when was the last time that you, say, parted a Red Sea? Hmm? Or when was the last time, I don't know, you uh, called down plagues from heaven to destroy Pharaoh's armies, or, you know, destroy Pharaoh? I, I, don't, I don't think you ever did that, did you? So why don't you shut it? He didn't say that, though. Even Moses has the, humi- he has the humility to know that he needs help. He, this is good advice, and he needs to embrace wise counsel. Sometimes we get filled with ourselves, and our egos get bigger and bigger and bigger, and we're not willing to listen to, to others, so we get upside down in life. What if we had the wisdom of Moses to embrace wise counsel? Here's just a few ways we do this, just three. First of all, you got to be teachable. Moses was teachable. He was still learning. He was willing to hear Jethro's advice and have a teachable heart. He was willing to try it out to implement it because he too discerned that this is the Lord's will both for him and the people. He was teachable. Second, we've got to be a listener. We've got to be a listener. And I don't just mean that we hear stuff. Because we live in a world today where we're exposed to more information than any people group who's ever lived by a long shot. There's always stuff coming at us. There's, I mean, think about it. How many of our folks here, you watched that one TV show, right, from the 1970s that you all saw together, right? If you ask kids today, like, did you watch a particular show Well, there's a whole lot more choices. There's more than like four channels now, right? We're getting information at us all the time. And we all get really good at sorting and trying to push to the side everything we don't need. It's kind of a survival mechanism. But the problem can be is that we become poor listeners because we don't deeply listen to anything. We just kind of sort and sift and push it all off to the side. To heed someone's advice means to listen with a commitment to change. Do you have people in your life that you listen to and you actually make a commitment to change? That would be a a band if you're in one of our discipleship bands. It's a great way, a small group of people that that come together for accountability. If you're not part of one of those, you might call the church office. We'd love to get you connected. Or maybe people in your life group. Maybe it's a mentor you've had for a long time or a teacher. Maybe it's a parent or another relative or friend. 
we need to have that in our lives. Someone, some people who we trust, who we listen to no matter what. And we, we seek to discern if they're speaking God's will and God's word to us. To see the fruit of wisdom in our lives, we have to have the spirit of a listener. And finally, we need, to, we need to be a teachable, we need to be a listener. We also need to be a prayer. And yes, I know that's not a word, sorry. I could have done better. But you understand what we're saying here. Prayer is so central to who we are as a church and who we are as individuals. And Jethro's advice, it pointed Moses toward, toward God, not away from him. You see, a good mentor never replaces the role of God in our lives. A mentor helps us to hear God's voice better, to discern it, and to follow it. Mentors should propel us to a greater dependence on God. So I ask you, friends, who is your Jethro? In your life, who's Jethro? Who do you trust that they might see something in you that, that you don't see? That, that you might trust that they might even speak God's words to you? at times, and that you might hear them and listen with a commitment to change. Who is that for you? If you don't have one, I'm praying, and I ask that you would pray that God would reveal one real soon to you. Like I said, maybe it's through a band or something else, or maybe you already know who it is, but you need to have the humility to go to them and say, I need somebody to help. I don't have it all together. I act like I have it all together, but I don't. And I need you to lovingly speak truth into my life. Not to, not to be mean or judgmental, but also to be able to help me see the truths that I don't want to see. To be able to speak the truth in love to me. And also, who are you being Jethro to? Around this room, I see a lot of collective wisdom. Who is it that, that maybe God is putting in your life who needs some encouragement, who needs some support, maybe who needs some advice or even needs to be challenged if you have the voice to do so in their life. Maybe God wants to use you in this way this week. You know, one of the reasons this church is a great place is because we have raised up Jethro's generation after generation after generation who have so faithfully invested into us as a church and that's why this place continues to be strong, because we continue to invest in one another and into our community around us. Maybe God's calling you to step it up in that area. Maybe you say, honestly, I'm, I'm not being a great steward of, all, of this voice that God has given me, and I need to use it better. I pray that for you, that God would open up the doors to be able to speak the truth in love. And maybe you can pray that God would do that this week. In fact, let me pray for you right now. Lord, I just thank you for all the uh, Jethros in this room. Those who for generations have, been, uh, th have sat in these pews, Lord. Those who have gone on before us. Those who have made an impact in our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful Jethros today. To speak the truth in love. To be your voice your words, your wisdom. And God, for all of us, we need Jethro's. I pray for the, maybe the one who thinks that it's just their role to be a Jethro but doesn't need one. God, help them to see that we need both. 
It's not an either-or thing, God. We need Jethro's to speak into our lives. God, would you put those people into our lives, and would you give us the humility to listen? Would you give us the humility to heed their advice and give us the humility, like Moses, to change? God, I thank you for the countless ways that you speak to us. Help us to be your people who listen to you. God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.